and open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you've not already done so. We're going to be taking our study this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. If our gospel that we proclaim is so glorious, and our ministry of this gospel is so important, why is it that we are afflicted? Why is it that we experience so much difficulty in the proclamation of that gospel? Why is it that we suffer from weakness? This is kind of a summary of the question that Paul is answering in 2 Corinthians. See, when Paul first visited Corinth, he had a great visit establishing the congregation there, planting that congregation but it's clear as we read 2 Corinthians that his second visit to Corinth to go build up this struggling congregation did not go so well. See, boasters had come into the congregation and had made much of themselves and had led the Corinthian congregation astray by demeaning Paul and demeaning Paul's ministry and who Paul was as a man, questioning who he was. Paul, he's so weak. He doesn't have much of a presence when he speaks. He's such a weak, trembling man. He, he seems to suffer so much. His presence is unimpressive on top of it. People are always trying to kill him. He won't even accept pay from you Corinthians. Such a weak man. Really, is such a weak, suffering man worthy of such a glorious ministry, of such a glorious gospel? Such were the accusations made against Paul that he has to defend in this letter. These boasters boasted of themselves and criticized Paul in that way. And the criticisms apparently took hold in the Corinthian congregation. It is very apparent as you read 2 Corinthians, Paul is so frustrated with this congregation because they did not stand up to defend him when these criticisms were made. And so the question causing the Corinthian Christians to question the very nature of the gospel and their own suffering still stood. If, God, if Paul's gospel is so glorious, what is the meaning of all of his afflictions? The same questions are asked of you and I today. Why do God's people suffer? But haven't we all wondered this same thing ourselves? If we give everything to the gospel, if we give everything to spread the gospel, if we give our lives for Jesus, why is it that we face lack? Why is it that we face derision from the world? Why is it that we face persecution? And in many countries today, probably soon to be here, why is it that we even face death for proclaiming Christ? How would you answer a question like that? How would you answer this question, if your gospel is so great, if your God is so awesome, and it's so important that you spread it, why is it so tough? Why is it such a scary thing? 
It's a legitimate question, I believe. And Paul kicks off 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and sets the stage, really, I believe, for the rest of the letter by answering this question in a very good way and gives, I believe, three very bold answers as to the reason for our afflictions, our persecutions, our weaknesses, and our trials. And I want to begin this morning by noticing verses 3 to 7. That's already been read for us. But I want for us to notice how I believe there's two reasons given in verses 3 to 7 before we get to verses 8 through 11. And that first reason is there in verse 5. Notice verse 5 again, the first reason for why we suffer, even though we are God's people. He says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The first answer for why God's people suffer in spreading the gospel is seen right here. We are sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And I believe as we think about it, this answer is actually quite logical to think of it. Uh, Christ proclaimed his gospel and he was killed and afflicted for preaching the gospel. We preach the same gospel And so it follows that we should be afflicted, persecuted, and even killed for preaching that gospel. This is actually an idea that we see throughout the Bible, especially fleshed out in John chapter 15 and verses 18 through 20, when Jesus is talking to his apostles. I just love how Jesus words this here. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. I just love the simple logic of this passage here. The world hated and hurt Jesus, and so the world is going to hate and hurt Jesus' disciples. Because Jesus' disciples, we are not greater than Jesus. It's essentially the same message that Paul says here, you must share, we must all share in Christ's sufferings. And so I think this is an awesome answer that we can give. When people question our pain, when people come to us wondering, why is it that you suffer yet you're God's people if your God is so great and your gospel is so great? And even ourselves as we wonder these things, the answer that we can give ourselves and others is, I must share in Christ's sufferings because I am not greater than Christ. Whether someone is seeking to demean us like the boasters in Corinth were trying to bring down Paul, or whether we're facing people who are genuinely confused about suffering like the Corinthians were. This is the answer we can give. I'm not greater than Christ. I must share in his sufferings. But I think what is most helpful for us is to consider how much we must give this answer to ourselves as well. Because it is so terribly frustrating to all of us to talk to people about serving Jesus and only to be, and only have the result of of being ignored or laughed at or derided for talking about Jesus and desiring to continue to talk about Jesus every opportunity we have. And our frustration and our confusion is often so strong at times, we know it threatens to keep us completely silent. If that's how people are going to respond when I talk to them about Jesus, I'm done with this. 
I don't want to. If that's how Christians are going to respond when I even exhort them, I'm through with it. We get scared. Man, it hurts when people don't like us because we talk about the one thing that matters most in the world to us. It hurts. It's scary. It's scary when people don't want to talk to us anymore. It's scary when people speak against us for those things. We know that when we speak to someone about Christ or when we speak to someone about their sin, even if we speak about it in love, even if we speak to one another here in this room who desire to follow Christ, we know it's going to bring a sword and many times it's not going to be received well. It will bring affliction. And our minds struggle with this. We think, well, since the gospel is so great, it's so glorious, then that means it should bring peace, right? If it brings unrest, I must be doing something wrong. But actually, that's not the case at all. We need to take Paul's encouragement in this passage for ourselves. If we're speaking about Christ with love and we're ignored, rejected, or hurt for it, that is not a sign of our failure. Jesus and the apostles remind us of this all the time. Time and again, that speaking the gospel to our friends in the world will frequently result in the opposite of peace. Jesus says, actually, that we're blessed if we are persecuted. And Paul says here, speaks of the awesome opportunity to share in Christ's sufferings, something that he refers to in Philippians chapter 3 as well. We've got to reorient our way that the way that we think about suffering. This is our awesome opportunity to join in what Christ himself experienced for preaching the same message. And I think that's helpful for us because we need to, if we will reorient our way of thinking about persecution and think of it more as an opportunity and a blessing as the scriptures do speak about it, then that helps us have more boldness. And I love, I just love how Paul encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and uh, verses and verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not, be, uh, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Though we do not naturally think in this way, I want to encourage all of us to adopt these words that Paul has spoken to Timothy, that Paul is speaking here to the Corinthians, share in Christ's sufferings, have the boldness to speak, have the boldness to not be afraid, have the boldness to know that we are meeting Jesus in the same things he experienced and it is only a sign that we are doing the right thing when preaching the gospel causes unrest. But what's interesting is that Paul's focus in this passage is actually more focused on God's comfort in the midst of sharing in Christ's sufferings, in the midst of afflictions. And what's really great here in verses 3 to 7 is Paul's firm conviction that God's comfort in the midst of affliction is for the comfort of others. That is brought out, I believe, most explicitly there in verses 6 to 7. Notice verses 6 to 7 with me again. If we are afflicted, 
It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So Paul essentially says here, both my sufferings and afflictions and my comforts are for your comfort. How does that even make sense? How does Paul's suffering work out to be comforting for the Corinthians? Well, think about it like this. Um, If you're going through a really difficult time, how helpful is it to have someone come to you who has no life experience, who has never gone through any difficulties, and they tell you that everything is going to be all right when in reality your world is crumbling around you? God's going to be with you. It's okay. And they've never experienced affliction or God's comfort from affliction. That's not really helpful at all. It's not really helpful in the slightest. We might say that such a person is naive. That's what Paul's talking about here. His sufferings, his afflictions worked out to allow him to comfort the Corinthians in their afflictions, in their suffering. And I think to flesh this out even more, that's helpful for us because we all kind of wonder, why do I personally have to suffer as one of God's people? It's helpful for us to remember, if we are shielded from every difficulty, who's going to comfort the Christians in their difficulties and afflictions? And when someone from the world seeks counsel for us in their difficulties, who's going to comfort them? If we're people who have never experienced any difficulty, is that really helpful for us to try to counsel them and help them out? Consider me in my position. If I am never scorned or rejected or harmed for preaching the truth, how well does that bode for you whenever you are on the job and you talk about the gospel to your coworkers or you're in your neighborhood or at school and you speak about Christ? And they make fun of you, and they hurt you for what you're speaking. How well does that bode for you when you come to me if I've never experienced any difficulty? Because I wonder, well, why must I suffer? Why must I have difficulty in my uh, Christianity? How well does it bode for you when you come to me seeking comfort? It doesn't bode very well for you. I have no experience. I have never experienced the concept or the way of life where you look around you and everything seems to be terrible and then God saves you from that. I've never experienced that and so I can't comfort you with my own experiences to say, no, God's faithful, trust in him. So Paul gives us then very two very helpful things to know in all of our suffering. And the first thing is to know That in our suffering, when we're exhausted in the midst of tears, in the midst of desperation, when people are making fun of us for our Christianity, we have the promise here that we will experience God's comfort. The timing is not up to us, but the comfort is promised. It will come. God comforts us through good news. God comforts us through answered prayer. God comforts us through successes in the gospel, the restoration of souls, or an encouraging soul who encourages us through their affliction. And the second thing that Paul encourages us with 
is he shows us what the point of all of this is. He shows us by his example that we can have great opportunity now to serve other people. When we're in the midst of our troubles, we have the great opportunity to serve other people through our example. After we've been at the end of our rope and experienced God's comfort and affliction, we now have the opportunity to comfort other Christians and other even non-Christians who come to us wanting to know how they can get through their suffering, how they can get through their trials and sorrows. We can now relate, whereas before we could not relate at all. And we can tell them of God's past comfort in our lives and of his promises to comfort those who are in him. Uh, Give an example of this. uh, A few weeks ago, Tierra Colt came to us, uh, came to Ashley and I, and she was telling us about persecution that she's going through. Uh, essentially what happened is she refused to go to a lewd birthday party that one of her cousins was throwing. And her cousins and really all of her family, as she's been making these changes in her life since Christ came into her life, they don't really like the changes. And so they've been, they essentially uh, told Tierra's friend Uh, who's been visiting with us every once in a while, hey, don't be boring like Tierra is boring. (laughs) Well, Tierra and uh, Eris, her friend, came to Ashley and I, telling us, with a smile on their faces, about this affliction that they are experiencing for turning to Christ and and for turning away from sin. And so we spent the next little while, the next half hour, swapping stories about how we too have been rejected by our friends, how we too and certain family members don't like it when we talk to them about the gospel. We comfort one another. And because of that, this mutual edification where we have all experienced suffering together and not one of us is exempt from it, we can rejoice with one another. Rejoice in this opportunity that we have been given to share in Christ's sufferings. We can comfort one another. Christians, that's why you aren't exempt from lack, from destitution, from being scorned for your faith, for going through trials. That's why you aren't exempt from it. That's why I'm not exempt from it. That's why nobody is exempt from it. Otherwise, who is going to comfort the world? Who who will we have here in our congregations to comfort one another? And so, we are afflicted to comfort the afflicted. Remember this in your times of difficulty. When I'm comforted, God's purpose is for me to spread that comfort to other people who are also afflicted. Keep your eyes open. Let's keep our eyes open for those opportunities. And think of that in a much different way as opposed to feeling so hopeless in the midst of affliction. Realize it does have purpose. But now Paul turns in verses 8 to 11 to give an example of his affliction and his subsequent comfort from that affliction. And he talks about the greatest purpose that it had overall. Notice verses 8 to 11 with me again. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This short narrative here gives us another reason for why our ministry and Paul's ministry of the glorious gospel of Christ is not exempt, does not make us exempt from suffering and trials. Paul tells us in this narrative that in Asia, uh, he was so afflicted, he was so destitute that he despaired of life itself. Joyful Paul, persevering Paul, despaired of life itself and thought... He had received the sentence of death. He thought he was toast. He thought he was dead. Paul, in all the afflictions he experienced, he decided this was so bad, this was his time. But notice the reasons for why Paul gives, for why Paul gives for why this happens in verse 9. He gives two reasons. Paul and his companions. Paul and his companions needed to stop relying on themselves. Paul and his companions needed to rely on God who raises the dead. And I don't think it's any accident that Paul describes God as the God who raises the dead. Uh, Though Paul had many plans left in his ministry, many plans left for his life. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go back to Jerusalem. He wanted to go all these places at this time in his life. He still had many years left, he thought. But at this point in his life, though he had many plans for his ministry, it was over. And all Paul had left to hold on to was not that God would save him in this life, but that God would resurrect him in his future life. That is how destitute Paul was but that's how much faith he had in the midst of difficulty. That's how much he needed to stop relying on himself because everything was gone. He had to now enter into death with only trusting God who raises the dead. So Paul was afflicted to share in Christ's sufferings. Paul was afflicted to share in and spread God's comfort to others. And Paul was afflicted to stop trusting in himself and his own strength, but to rely on God alone to the point of his own death. And this is such a legitimate biblical concept, something we talked about in our Bible class this morning in Romans chapter 4, the awesome description of God who gives when there is no life. God who raises when there is no life. God blesses when there is no hope. That awesome experience of Abraham. There is a need for us to stop placing so much value in our own lives, so much value in our blessings here, so much value in our own strength to save ourselves, so much value in others' strength and in technology's advances, technological advances to save us. There is so much of a need for us today to stop trusting in anything and everything and start relying on God. And sometimes the only way for that to happen in a real way, sometimes the only way for that to happen is through suffering, through sorrows, through trials, through persecution. This is a concept we spoke of in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus there walks on the water and saves the disciples after they've spent all night 
nearly dying on sea in the midst of a terrible storm, wondering how they themselves are going to get out of this because they had no strength left of themselves. How did that trial, how did that difficulty, how did that storm have purpose? Ah, Jesus, in the midst of their recognition that they had no power to save themselves, Jesus manifested his glory. Jesus saved them for the building of their faith. Sometimes to learn how great God is, we have to learn how small we are. And sometimes to learn to rely on that great God, we have to be shown how meaningless it is to rely on ourselves and other people. From time to time, God allows persecution, sorrows, anxieties for us to grow immensely in our reliance on God. And notice that this is the outcome of what happened here in Paul's life. You notice that it's clearly stated there in verse 10. I love it. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our, set our hope that he will deliver us again. God did deliver them from, that de- from death in that situation. And now Paul and his companions have full confidence in God's deliverance for the future. In fact, they have full confidence, not just that if they go through difficulty, they will be saved in this life, but even if they go to death, now their faith has been built in such a way that even when they die, they will trust him all the way to the grave. They will trust him all the way. They learned this reliance on God, and what's interesting about this passage is it did not just remain with Paul. Notice verse 11. This trust, this reliance on God that was created in Paul through this difficulty, it spread to other people. He says in verse 11, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is kind of going back to the idea of how our affliction comforts and causes others to grow as well. Paul's faith was built in the midst of this difficulty because God comforted and saved him. And now he is proclaiming that, yes, your prayers have been answered. Our difficulty in Asia that we told you about, God answered our prayer in the midst of that difficulty. So thank God. Offer up thanksgiving to him. God's glory is accomplished in every situation. The growth of not only Paul and his companions, but of all Christians that heard about this situation. All of them had the opportunity to grow in their faith, grow in their reliance on God who raises the dead, and to thank him for the blessing of answered prayer. That was really the fruit of this. The fruit is the blessing of answered prayer. The fruit is the thanksgiving that goes to God. And so Paul's message and the hope for the Corinthians to also learn on learn to rely on God in suffering that really cannot be overstated in our own lives today for us here personally Paul himself with all of his faith needed needed this opportunity he says in verse 9 this happened to make us make Paul the man with so much faith to make him start relying on God. He needed it, and we needed it too. We need it too. Because one day our afflictions are going to have their last day, and our afflictions are going to swallow us up in our physical deaths. 
On the day of your death, do you want to be scared? Do you want to doubt God's provision? Do you want to doubt God's promises? I don't want that. I don't want to be scared on the day of my death that God's not going to come through on his promises. Well, one day we all are going to meet our deaths, just as Paul thought he met his death on that day. And the purpose of all the afflictions and trials and sorrows and anxieties leading up to that point is to build our faith so that we won't be scared in that death. So that in our deaths, we will trust in God who raises the dead. Because honestly, do we really think that we can go through this life and experience only prosperity and go into our deaths with full faith? It's not going to happen. We have to experience lack and then God's salvation from that lack. God's salvation from those difficulties so that we learn ah, how great it is to rely on the Lord. Learn that and your afflictions. Let us all focus on that and our afflictions, that this is my opportunity. God has said through Paul, through the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, that this is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to learn to rely on God alone. And I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm not going to miss this opportunity. I'm not going to miss this right here. Prepare for your death by taking these afflictions with a good heart taking these afflictions to learn to rely on God and not on your own strength. And so, in conclusion, I believe these messages, this message right here, these reasons, kick off Paul's defense of his ministry, of his weaknesses, of his sufferings, in a very powerful way before the Corinthians who were clearly confused about the nature of the gospel and why we must suffer in the midst of it. Why was Paul afflicted? Why must we still suffer today? Though we all struggle believing that suffering disqualifies us from ministry, and though others believe persecution is a sign of our weakness, we've seen in verse 5 that we were afflicted to share in Christ's sufferings because we can expect nothing else. When our Lord and Master suffered and was killed for what He did, we must expect the same thing. And so let's share in those sufferings with boldness, not with quietness that runs away, but with boldness that speaks Boldness that shares in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Because as Paul says in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Second, we learned in verses 3 to 7 that we are afflicted and comforted to comfort others in their trouble. How else can those who suffer experience their comfort? Go into persecution, go into afflictions, go into trials with that knowledge that you can now, as you experience affliction in God's salvation, you can now comfort other people with real experience. And third, we are afflicted to learn to rely on God alone. How else will we enter into our deaths with full faith that God will raise the dead? This is the only way for us to fully develop this faith. God has allowed us to experience weaknesses so that he can have the perfect opportunity to display his salvation so that we might know how great he is and put our faith in him. And so enter into afflictions with these purposes at hand. And might I just add, it's so easy to remember all these reasons right here in this room when we're feeling kind of good. Remember these things not just here, but when it counts the most, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of others' difficulties, let's not forget these reasons. Let's not forget this passage that Paul gives us right here for the building up of our faith.
I want to end with Psalm 34 and verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. If there is any way that we can help you in your walk with God, if there's any way that we can comfort you in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your difficulties, we want to be a family that can do that for you. I just love the bond. Uh, the past two years that Ashton and I have spent here has just been so great as we've built up a bond with all of you. Uh, so many of you have been so close to us. And, when we, and we've been able to work through difficulties, difficult days, difficult weeks, difficult months through one another and comfort one another. Help us comfort you. And if you've not come to Christ and if you've not received his awesome forgiveness by being, uh, by being baptized in water and putting all of your faith in Jesus Christ, see the awesome blessings that we have here. See the awesome promise of God's comfort that you can experience, that we will experience. If there's any way we can help you in your walk with the Lord or help you get started in your walk with the Lord, come forward to the front or talk to us afterwards while we stand while we sing.